on edge in the Okanagan and many other BC communities. The conditions out in the forest are very prime to see significant fire growth. Why the next 48 hours are so critical for residents facing the flames. Highway 4 closed again. More hardship for island communities feeling cut off. And a major setback for BC ferries. It's the third vessel that uh, unfortunately we are having to suspend service. How mechanical issues continue to plague the fleet with one of its biggest ships pulled out of service indefinitely. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. This expected strong winds means that wildfire can move and change direction exceptionally fast. We are urging people to stay calm, to be alert, and to be prepared. A state of emergency declared in Kelowna with a major expansion of the evacuation order in West Kelowna. The direct and ominous warning to BC residents in the line of fire tonight. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. And the wildfire danger is increasing by the minute. And we start with breaking news from BC wildfire officials warning of rapidly worsening conditions. Winds are already starting to increase and they could get worse over the next 24 hours, likely leading to more evacuation alerts and orders. Richard Zussman has more on the looming risk. It's an order to get out. Residents in 68 properties in West Kelowna being told to evacuate. The community now under a local state of emergency as officials brace for the worst. This weather event has the potential to be the most challenging 24 to 48 hours of the summer. The current heat wave is set to be replaced by a cool air mass. This shift in the weather will lead to a huge amount of unpredictability. When those two things happen, it creates significant and sustained winds, likely in the 30 to 40 kilometers an hour range with gusts up to 60 to 70 kilometers an hour. On top of the winds, lightning is in the forecast, meaning not only could all the hard work to stop existing fires be wiped out by the flames switching direction, but new fires will have to be stopped as well. This expected strong winds means that wildfire can move and change direction exceptionally fast. What makes the next 24 to 48 hours so challenging is fire is seemingly everywhere. The highest risk now in the Caribou, but it will shift to the Kamloops fire region and the southeast, including Kiramios, where there is already significant fire worry. If ever there was a time to make sure you have an evacuation plan for your house and your family, it's now. If ever there was a time to make sure you had a grab-and-go bag, it is now. It's also the peak of tourism season, so there are limited hotel rooms in many areas. The province is preparing for what that means if there are evacuations and warning those traveling across BC, a community that may be welcoming visitors right now, may not be in a few days' time. I do encourage people who live in high-risk areas to reach out to family and friends who may be able to provide shelter in other areas of the province. Make those arrangements now as part of your emergency plan. And while the fires may be fueled by wind and lightning, it's British Columbians the Wildfire Service hopes fuels first responders during the next 24 hours. Your kindness is felt and it means more than you know to the people of uh, BC Wildfire Service and all the support agencies that are stepping up to support the response effort this year. Now, firefighters are facing the scariest task, waiting to see where the flames may go. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. Bye.
Well, we know they are burning near West Kelowna. And with more on that and the expanded evacuation order, we're joined live by Jules Knox. Jules, it's going to be an anxious night for many out there. That's right, Chris. Another 700 plus properties have just been put under evacuation order. Tactical evacuations are currently underway. That means people are going door to door telling people they need to leave their homes. That's in the Rose Valley and Bartley Road areas in West Kelowna. Now we've just seen the, as we've been here, we've seen the fire come over the hill. It's alarming for everybody. The ash is falling all around us. The winds are gusting. It's hot. It's dry. And we see this dark smoke billowing everywhere. The fire is currently estimated at about 300 hectares and we can tell you that another 5,000 properties have been told that they need to be ready to flee their homes at a moment's notice. This afternoon we were in the Bartley Road area where people were packing their bags. They said they didn't expect that they were going to be able to stay the night and they were right. They were evacuated shortly after we spoke to them. Here's what they had to say. The winds just picked up probably the last 20 minutes. Uh, it's very concerning because it has changed and now it's pulling the other way. And they're anticipating it's actually going to come 40 to 50 kilometers an hour this way. And they're concerned it's actually going to come into town overnight or tomorrow. So that's what we're worried about. Just everybody around here. We've watched everybody kind of driving by with their stuff loading up and trying to leave. To give you an idea of the winds, the car was shaking as we were sitting in it earlier. All eyes will be on this fire tonight as people are packing their bags and finding a safe place to stay if they should need it. Right. Wishing the best to you and everybody out there, Jules. Thanks very much. That's Jules Knox reporting from West Kelowna. We'll keep an eye on that situation throughout the night. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on that gusty cold front. They're already feeling moving in, Christy. Yeah, so this cold front, Chris, moved from north to south across the province today. So the main impact for this evening and overnight will be the southern portions of the province. So Thompson region further south. We've seen gusts ranging from 40 to 60 kilometers an hour so far. We have the potential for even stronger gusts. But it's not just the speed of those gusts. It's also the fact that they are going to be very erratic under the, that cold front, making it very difficult for the B.C. Wildfire Service and uh, causing some substantial growth of the current fires. But this cold front is not only going to just bring gusty winds, it also has the potential for bringing uh, dry lightning. That's exactly as it sounds. It's lightning that comes with basically no rain. So the potential is there not only tonight for that area, but also tomorrow. And also the gusty winds will uh, continue to be strong in the southeastern corner of the province tomorrow. Also, Chris, back to you. All right, we'll check in with you a little bit later on in the news hour here too, Christy. Thank you. The biggest evacuation in Northwest Territories history is underway right now. 20,000 residents of Yellowknife fleeing nearby wildfires. The city is undertaking a phased approach to get everyone out safely by tomorrow ahead of an advancing wildfire that breached a fire break. Global's Jamie Dahl has more from Yellowknife. Well, this line now stretches to three or four city blocks. All of these people have been waiting, trying to get to the registration center where they'll put their name on a list to board a flight out of here to Calgary. It's been a very long day for many of these people, but government officials are hoping to try to alleviate the burden and the toll that it is having on so many. They're handing out water and snacks, but anxiety is running high as this capital city evacuates. How long have you been waiting? Uh, since 10 o'clock this morning, so that means uh, six, uh, four hours and 50 minutes. 
Oh, it's been long. I'm tired. Uh, I've been having trouble sleeping for the last few nights because of everything. I've been nervous, scared. I'm basically doing this on my own. Especially the ones with the little ones, the kids, elders. Yeah. But you just got to stay humble and hope for the best. We just learned five military aircraft are going to be coming from Ottawa to help with this massive evacuation. Chartered flights started leaving here at one o'clock. They will continue into the evening. From there, few really know where they're going to go next, but I think perhaps the greatest uncertainty weighing on a lot of these people is what they will be returning home to. Jamie Dog, Global News, Yellowknife. And Julia Foy joins us now with more on how BC is helping some of those folks from Yellowknife. A military aircraft will arrive soon with some hospital patients, Julia. Absolutely, Chris. Now, these are people that are so vulnerable and so fragile, and they are getting evacuated out of Yellowknife as well. So right now, officials are planning between the health authority and the airport to bring in a military plane. A Hercules plane is going to be landing in Yellowknife. We believe it's going to be arriving tomorrow morning. But I'm sure all night long, there's going to be a lot of thoughts, a lot of stories held together to think about how they're going to triage many of these patients and whether they're going to go to long-term acute or emergent care. So at this point, uh, there's going to be extra staff brought on at YVR. We do expect that the military plane will land over at the south terminal. And in fact, just a couple of hours from now, there's going to be two other regularly scheduled flights coming in from Yellowknife tonight. So we'll have the latest details for you coming up at Global News at 11. Chris? Yeah, those flights are full too, Julia. All right, thanks very much. We'll check in later as well. Well, tourists trying to escape the heat and head for the west coast of Vancouver Island hit a roadblock today. Highway 4 is closed for the removal of boulders that could come crashing down onto vehicles. And as Kylie Stanton reports, residents and retailers can't wait until it's back to normal. A boulder the size of a refrigerator falls from Angel Rock, crashing into the roadway below. Very nice, very nice. Work being done here is why Highway 4 is closed yet again. Still catching would-be travelers off guard. A little bit, yeah, I didn't, uh, didn't know. According to BC's Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure, two full-day closures are required to remove roughly a dozen hazardous boulders from the most challenging segment of the bluff. Now I have to head home. <laughs> Within two months after the Cameron Bluffs wildfire broke out, compromising this stretch of highway, the closures that just keep coming also seem to keep everyone guessing. It does make it hard to plan ahead. Island Surf Shop here in Coombs has managed to stay afloat, capitalizing on the weekend traffic while making the most of these quieter days. Hit up the resort drive and drop off some of our rack cards. But that's what being a business is about, I guess, right? You have to make decisions and no guts, no glory. But others have not been so lucky. Bigfoot Burgers in Whiskey Creek shut its doors permanently late last month, posting the news on Facebook saying we kept pushing, kept doing our best. But two consecutive highway closures and the loss of nearly an entire summer of sales, we simply cannot recover from this one. The good news for those hanging in the balance, the project is expected to wrap up in the coming weeks. Staying by the end of the month. But the ordeal has only amplified the calls to open up another alternative route, specifically the Horn Lake connector, in the event something like this happens again. Pretty much all of uh, 
the different cities uh, and indigenous groups are banding together with a single voice saying, you know, we, we need short-term, we need long-term resolution to this. In the meantime, patience is key. You know, we just ask that uh, that folks uh, respect the, the workers on site and the traffic control people and uh, know that they're there to do that job. And uh, yeah, we want to get through it all as, as soon as we can. There is one more full day closure scheduled for next Thursday. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And more frustrations if you happen to be taking a BC ferry. Major mechanical problems have pulled the coastal renaissance out of service likely for weeks. Troy Charles is live at Tawasin Ferry Terminal with more on the impact to all those passengers. Troy? Yeah, Chris, this issue arose last night on an evening sailing for the Coastal Renaissance. And now, after multiple cancellations on the Tawasin to Duke Point route, BC Ferries says the problem with the Renaissance is a big one. This is not a simple fix. This is, in fact, a very complicated fix that will uh, take an extended period of time that is likely to be measured in weeks, not days. That complicated fix involves the ship's number two drive motor, which has left the vessel unseaworthy. BC Ferry saying more service changes are expected in the coming days as they try to manage the more than 2,000 customers who had bookings on the Renaissance this week, saying they need another day to hash out a customer recovery plan. But in the meantime, anyone with a cancelled reservation will be offered an immediate refund and a travel voucher. There is potential to provide extra early morning and late night sailings, but there are no spare vessels in the fleet. So the other two boats operating to us into Duke Point will have to carry the load. One of those being the Queen of Alberni, which holds around 400 less passengers and crew and 30 less vehicles than the Renaissance. We brought the Queen of Alberni uh, into service. Uh, that vessel was providing supplemental service between Tawasin and Duke Point. So now it's providing uh, primary service between Tawasin and Duke Point. Now it seems issues already having a trickle-down effect. Early reports out of Horseshoe Bay had vehicle traffic backed up on to the highway. And a recent tweet from BC Ferries says sailings out of Horseshoe Bay bound for, bound for Nanaimo have reached vehicle capacity for the remainder of the evening. Chris, after that August long weekend, it looked like things were going pretty all right for BC Ferries. But that didn't last long. And now they are back doing damage control. Mm. Well, it looked so good on the August long weekend. I know they regret it couldn't have stayed that way, as we all do. Thanks very much, Troy. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on another issue facing BC Ferries, and that's the ongoing talks between mm -hmm. the ferries and the union, possibly reopening the collective agreement to get a wage hike. Keith, what's the latest? Yeah, this isn't your usual contract talk. So this is a, a clause that's very unusual these days. It's a wage reopener clause. Something you used to see back in the 70s and 80s with unions. BC Fair is the only union I know that still retains that clause. So talks began a couple weeks ago. There was some progress initially, but now they've hit an impasse. We are able to obtain some correspondence, some messages that uh, Union President Eric Manili sent to the uh, members. First of all, the good news, we were able to find common ground on areas such as the need to address low wage earners and the value of many skilled and experienced employees. But Mr. McNeely followed that up with a less positive note to uh, members. However, there were areas that we were not able to find common ground on. They include basic wages, wages for ship officers, trade 
exchange rates of pay at DPM and across the terminals, as well as wage compression. They have invoked for the first time what's called Article 35.02 in the contract uh, to call in outside help to try to resolve this impasse over wages. They're still looking for a wage increase. Uh, the good news is there's no strike here because the contract is still in place. It's not going to run out for at least a year or so, but this wage reopener is an unusual event. I'm not sure exactly how this is going to go or where they're going to get the outside help. In the meantime, keep an eye on ferries because things can start wobbling here pretty quick and hopefully we don't see any more staff shortages in the weeks mm. ahead. Manpower, so important, just like power to the propellers, which they're having trouble with too. All right, Keith, thank you very much. All right. Talk to you later. The man reported missing with Stephanie Patterson is now facing murder charges. IHIT confirms 44-year-old Patterson was found dead in a rural area of Mission. Court documents filed in Abbotsford show 57-year-old David Hall is now charged with second-degree murder, a murder that occurred August 11th. Now, Patterson was last seen on that day, and a missing person alert was issued for her and Hall. She was a band counselor with the Coquitlam First Nation. Hall will appear in Abbotsford Court on August 23rd. And after pleading guilty to three offenses back in May, repeat offender Mohammed Majidpour has now been sentenced. But, as Kristen Robinson reports, some believe the punishment doesn't fit the crime, especially considering how often he's been in trouble. A repeat offender who hit an Asian student with a pole in a random racist attack last year is free after being sentenced to time served plus probation. Last September, 35-year-old Mohammed Majidpour struck the 19-year-old over the head with a pole in downtown Vancouver. Global News has learned he told the woman to go back to China. Majidpour torched a car hours later. After pleading guilty to assault with a weapon and arson-damaging property, he was sentenced to one day in jail on August 2nd with credit for three months' time served and two years' probation. A one-day sentencing is really showing that this, these issues of hate are being under-recognized by our community. It's disheartening that this has not stopped in 2023. We've had these conversations time and time again. However, all we can do is have hope and galvanize the up-and-coming generations to take action and to make a difference. Majidpour received a similar sentence for a retail theft he committed two hours and 18 minutes after his release from jail last October. Two other charges were stayed. Majidpour's criminal history in B.C. includes three convictions for assault, six for assault with a weapon, and two for uttering threats. His most common sentence, one day in jail, followed by probation. A violent repeat offender like Mr. Majidpour, who's got over 30 prior convictions, can smash a young Asian woman over the head with a metal pole, yellow racial slurs, and the consequence is a sentencing to a day in jail. It's not acceptable. And at some point, we have to get to a place where we say, you know what, the rights of the community are going to take precedence over the right of a violent repeat offender to be released back into the community. The province says 12 regional hubs of police, prosecutors and probation officers became operational in May to tackle violent repeat offenders. 212 people have been accepted as participants so far. Majidpour must abide by 14 conditions, including attending treatment for alcohol or drug addiction, as directed by his probation officer. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Divided over a daycare. Just the sheer, just anger that came out of everyone's just like, they were just so angry that we were doing this. What the operator was proposing and how it led to an uprising from her neighbors. That's next on the News Hour.
We really thrive on having a great experience in our washrooms. A BC bathroom that beats all the others coming up on the news hour. And a Canadian kid with a thing for pop tabs. Why Jace Weber thinks he set a world record later. Right now, though, the city reports a shortfall of nearly 15,000 spaces for daycare children. So it's a little surprising that when a home daycare near Douglas Park applied for an eight-child expansion, it was denied. That sparked some backlash. But as Cassidy Moscone reports, opponents say there's more to the story. You're greeted by the droning noise of a generator, but it's not the sound of construction that's got this Vancouver neighbourhood fired up. It's the daycare. We were quite surprised. We were quite shocked by it. Lisa McCormick has been running a residential daycare out of her home for over a year. She applied for official approval to expand but was knocked back. Decision makers citing staunch opposition from residents who say the cheer of kids playing and parking problems is turning their quaint suburban street into a commercial hub. They were just so angry that we were doing this. Like, how dare you add a daycare to this neighborhood. Yeah, it's very disappointing. It's um, it's disheartening. It's, you know, I thought people would have a bit more compassion to families in the neighborhood struggling. The struggle um, families have in the city is insane. There's a playground and park just across the road. Construction here on the street and homes being built. But residents here tell me it's not just the noise that's the problem. If no one wants, really wants a commercial um, or a, a, a residential property converted into a, a business. The City of Vancouver estimates the shortfall for licensed childcare spaces in Vancouver is at nearly 15,000. I did ask city staff that they would find out if there is a way for city council to revisit this, either as council or through other mechanisms. But the fact is, is that I think it came across to myself and my colleagues is not exactly the, the, the most appropriate uh, decision. I think look at existing spaces that could be better utilised and look at other spaces that the city has developed. A battle of the business that might not be over yet. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. We have an update to a story we told you about earlier this week. A Vancouver man has won his fight against eviction. On Tuesday, Keir Nichols spoke to Global News as he and his neighbours protested his looming eviction. He'd been told he needed to move out of his Mount Pleasant apartment so a live-in building caretaker could move in. Nichols says after a residential tenancy board hearing, he was told the eviction notice has been withdrawn and he'll be able to stay. Just ahead, the spreading problem of homeless encampments. I'm to the point, it's, it's starting to feel unsafe. Concerns about an Abbotsford rest area that's become a place of refuge for the unhoused. And later, how China is defending its decision to deny Canada preferred destination status and what that means for local tourism. It's a decision that has worrying implications for B.C.'s tourism sector as it recovers from the pandemic downturn. Last week, the Chinese government announced its list of approved countries for tour groups. It's the first one issued since pandemic travel restrictions began. It includes 78 countries, but Canada is not included. The Chinese embassy explained the snub by blaming recent anti-Asian violence and Canada's resistance to foreign interference and says it's important for Chinese citizens to be able to travel in a safe and friendly environment. 
Disappointing to see China has been a very important market for Canada and approved destination status allows us to support our tour operators here working in the China market. At the height of uh, the Chinese market coming to Vancouver, we had over 60 flights a week. We're now down to only two carriers operating out of Vancouver. According to Statistics Canada, in 2018, more than 750,000 Chinese travelers came to Canada and they spent an estimated $2 billion. A rest area off Highway 1 in Abbotsford is a good spot for campers and RVs to park and rest. But the problem is, dozens of campers are staying. And as Janet Brown reports, they say the rest area has become their home of last resort. Here at the Bradner Rest Stop alongside Highway 1 in Abbotsford, it clearly appears as if it's an encampment. Anywhere you look, there are tents, trailers, motorhomes, and many look like they are here for a long stay. I don't know what else to do. What else do you do? Where do you go? Poor people don't have a hope. Those who live here say it is the only option they have. I've got two little kittens inside and I don't want them to get out. Most of the people here, if they could find a place to live, they would be there because they're all working. They all have jobs. It takes one wrong turn, one bad choice, and you can end up homeless and, and on the street. The city of Abbotsford says there are between 40 and 45 full-time campers here and they're working to find them supportive housing, but it's not an easy job. People want to have quick answers and quick solutions, but we're talking about human people with, with uh, you know, layers of challenges. I know it sounds trite when a politician says it's a complex issue, but it is, and it, it's going to take all of society working together. The Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure says rest areas are for the convenience of travellers and long-term camping is not permitted. It also says it is working with the Ministry of Housing through their outreach program and with local enforcement to keep the rest area a safe place to temporarily stop and use the facilities. Some people pulling into the rest stop aren't happy with the long-term camping. Everybody's got a story. You don't know if it was bad decisions, mental illness, how they ended up here. It's but, but somebody's got to do something about it because it's getting worse and worse and worse. But sometimes it's easier said than done to make changes. A lot of people judge people that are living on the street, but it could happen to you. That's, you know what, I never ever thought I'd be homeless. I never thought things would happen to me that happened to me in my life. He's five months old. He's just a baby. For now, the campers are hoping the help comes soon before the weather changes and winter sets in. Janet Brown, Global News. Still ahead, a message from Maui. Bring your resources and kind of just help us get to where we need to be faster. An appeal from residents facing major economic hardship after their wildfire. And a heartbroken father angry he wasn't notified that his son was gone. The death toll in Maui continues to climb. 111 people are now confirmed to have died in the wildfire. Survivors are slowly coming to grips with the devastation and trying to sort out how to get their lives back together. And our Nitu Garcha is in Maui speaking with residents there. Nitu. Chris, Maui wildfire victims are facing a new challenge, the threat of chemical contamination. Authorities here say fires have tainted the air, water and soil, a risk to health likely to linger for months as the island tries to come to grips with grief while looking ahead to recovery. In the air, a mission against multiple wildfires burning on Maui. On the ground, a mission to feed those living in a community that's lost so much. This is 
what I have left, um, what I live in now. Twenty people die and no power, no water available. They burn whole tin my seat. <laughs> Just a word of caution for all these developers that thinking they're gonna come here and uh, invest and buy our land. No way, it's not gonna happen. Stay away. Their town is filled with anguish and anger, but also hope. Across the island, there are scenes like this. We empty and fill this room three or four times a day. Displaced residents getting food, water, and baby products from this business converted into a distribution center. Most of the families who come through lost everything. And a family came in yesterday and they were obviously very much in shock. They didn't know where their family was. Before the road to the community reopened on Wednesday, volunteers were taking donations into the hardest-hit areas by air and boat. Cami Irwin is among them. She says she saw desperation throughout Lahaina. Just feeling helpless. Like so many people, kids sitting up on the side of the highway with nothing. Analysts say the deadly fires could have an astronomical economic impact on the island, likely to cause a severe local recession. Hotels are starting to lay off people, restaurants are laying off. Now it's going to become the worst economic crisis that we've ever seen, including pandemic. While people have been urged to avoid non-essential travel to the island, some business owners and workers who rely on tourism fear a crippled economy. Their message to those planning to go ahead with their vacations to Maui is to come and help. When cleanup efforts start, help us clean up. Bring your resources and kind of just help us get to where we need to be faster. There are growing concerns about Lahaina's rebuild. Residents we talk to say the future should focus on people who call the community home, especially those with deep generational and ancestral connections to these lands. Chris? Nitu Karcha in Maui. Thanks so much, Nitu. A B.C. father is demanding answers after his adult son died at a supportive housing facility in New Westminster. He says he repeatedly tried to visit his son, but was told he was fine and was turned away. As Kamal Kuramali shows us, the man later learned his 28-year-old son had died of an overdose days earlier. What a, what a waste. That's my point. And now he's... Uh... No longer here. A father mourning the death of his only child. Eric Sostmeyer learning from the coroner that Joshua had been dead for days before his body was found at a supportive housing facility. My son was dead. I can, I, it's so hard to deal with it. My experiences with schizophrenia and psychosis. Joshua lived with schizophrenia. He started using drugs a few years ago, eventually checking into the Cliff Block Residence, a facility for people struggling with addiction and mental health issues in New Westminster earlier this year. The Lookout Society runs the facility and reported Joshua was last seen outside of his room on July 22nd. Staff performed a wellness check on July 25th. They believed he was sleeping and verbally responsive. After another day of not seeing Joshua, staff found him dead in his room. Well, I was I was astounded to hear that he had passed on. I like, the guy was he's so kind. Eh? According to his father, the autopsy report puts Joshua's death on July 22nd. During that time, Eric says he tried to visit his son, but was told he was fine. They shouldn't have left him alone. 
especially in a room that was full of drug stuff. The Lookout Society did not respond to multiple requests for an interview, but the death now highlights a need for better training for staff at supportive housing facilities. There is not sufficient housing for folks who are in that situation. They require trained staff, they require safe accommodation. This is an absolute failure to provide those supports. People are putting their loved ones' lives in the hands of this government. The province promising change. We are doing our best to make sure that those supports are available. We clearly have more work to do and we commit to continue to do that work. While a father continues to search for answers. He was my greatest challenge. I never gave up on him. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Still ahead, we'll introduce you to the Pop Tab Kid. He had buckets of fun collecting them, and we'll show you what he's doing with more than four million of them now. This is one of the favorites. Plus, the local business that just won an award for Canada's best bathroom. Weather, and specifically wind, will be very important to watch over the next 48 hours. Here's Christy with the details. Chris, so again, as we talked about, this cold front will mainly impact central and southern portions of the province. We'll be watching for the strong winds overnight and into tomorrow. Not only are we concerned about strong erratic winds, meaning coming in all directions as that cold front moves across, but also the potential for dry lightning. Uh, so that is a concern not only tonight, that dry lightning, but tomorrow also. Now tomorrow, the temperatures will be cut down significantly. Kamloops today, 36. Tomorrow, 26. And that's because of the cold front. So that's some good news there. But as we we well know uh, with that uh, risk of dry lightning um, and how dry the fuels are, it, we're still under a significant concern. Uh, smoke, potential for the south coast, everyone. So starting early Saturday morning, the potential is there for a more of an easterly flow, bringing in smoke to the south coast over the weekend. So a heads up on that. Meanwhile, widespread smoke in Isuyus as well as Castlegar. Risk of thunderstorms with dry lightning from the Caribou region right down and through the southern interior for our region nice and sunny but comfortable temperatures and we'll see that again Saturday before temperatures come up on Sunday to highs of away from the water to 30 degrees but again the potential is there for smoke across the south coast over the weekend tonight tonight central windows weather window coming to you from car car cross in the Yukon uh, Janice sharing this one uh, where you can see that the um, rainbow is coming down on the totem pole there so hopefully that's a good omen that is a beautiful shot, and yes, it's got to bring us some good luck. Mm -hmm. uh, some good luck for a local business. Canada has a new favorite washroom, and it's right here in B.C. The Canada's Best Bathroom Contest, headed by Sintas Canada, has named the washrooms at Hard Bean Brunch Co. in Port Moody the best in the country. The bathrooms have fully enclosed stalls with yellow trim and matching yellow doors. Also, navy blue walls and black and white tiles sit below palm leaf wallpaper. Also, there's a sink and LED backlit mirror in each stall. They just want to have a fun washroom that people enjoy being in. Washrooms in a lot of public places are not enjoyable if you've used them. Designing a washroom and being funky and adding yellow doors is something you don't, people don't usually do in their homes, so it's kind of neat when you get to do it outside of that. She's right on all points. And as the winner, the restaurant will get $2,500 worth of Sintas cleaning products and services to maintain those award-winning washrooms. Congratulations.
I've never reviewed a bathroom. Would that be called a Dear John letter? If you, if you <laughs> I guess it would. I guess it would, yeah. Thinking about that one for a while. Uh, anyway, Barry's in with, <laughs> uh, with sports uh, in for Squire. Good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. You know, it's been a while, but the uh, Whitecaps return to MLS uh, League action this Sunday. Looking forward to get playing in the league again. Feels like a while since we played uh, against... I don't know who it was. <laughs> Even the players don't remember who they played last. For the record, 33 days ago against the LA Galaxy, but it's time to ramp up for the stretch run. All right, look forward to that, Barry. Also, the 10-year-old king of pop tabs. Why he's collecting nearly 4 million of them. Coming up. Back to work for the Whitecaps. Here's yeah, Barry. Thanks very much, Chris. Uh, yeah, the Whitecaps resume their MLS schedule this Sunday at BC Place against San Jose. Vancouver has not played a match since August the 4th when they lost out to Tigres, the Mexican side, in League's Cup round of 32. So at least they are getting a chance to rest up and get ready for the final 12 games of the season eight of which come on the road, including a rigorous and vigorous seven-game road trip that will determine if the Whitecaps make the playoffs this season. And there it is for Tigris. After bowing out of the League's Cup on August 4th in a shootout loss to Tigris, the Caps have turned their focus back to making the MLS playoffs. Looking forward to get playing in the league again. Feels like a while since we played uh, against... I don't know who it was. <laughs> That's understandable. It was over a month ago. But it was a performance they'd hoped to repeat. A 4-2 win over the LA Galaxy at BC Place on July 15th. After that, they played three League's Cup games. An intense start to the season, so it's been a welcome 16-day break between matches. You know, that extra week to, to kind of recover and, um, you know, get, get training as well. And it let, you know, Richie and Sam get an extra week in with us as well. So, yeah, it's been good. The Whitecaps announced the additions of Richie Larea and Sam Adekubi just before the match against Tigres. Neither had a chance to make it to the game at BC Place, so it's been a long-awaited debut for the two Canadian internationals. We've had the pleasure of having a two-week break where we can just focus on training sessions and getting used to the coach's tactics. And, you know, these things take time, and luckily we have the time now, but it's a matter about bringing it onto the field in the games. Going through training, I feel pretty good, but I know playing matches are a little bit different. So um, once... The match kicks off, maybe I'll be a little bit tired halfway through the game or so, but um, I'm sure I'll be fine and be able to push through. After this Sunday's home game, the Whitecaps hit the road for seven straight. A daunting task, but the Caps are choosing to look on the bright side. I don't think it's a bad thing to have those seven games away in a row because some of them will be only one trip, so we have only to do one like Chicago, New York or Salt Lake, Houston, so we'll stay there and train. So it, it will feel maybe less like a game on the road. Yeah, I've seen obviously the fixtures that will be tough, but from training with this group, I think it's very much so an easy, not easy, but it should be um, a string of games that we should be able to get some good results. Of the seven teams in the run of road games, only RSL has a better points per game record than Vancouver. So the goal is to win as many of those as possible to set up an exciting finish to the season. I've said before, MLS is, um, can be um, crazy sometimes and wild uh, when it comes down to you know decision day and stuff like that. And I think with the group we have, uh, we shouldn't have problems maintaining a playoff spot and then kicking forward into the playoffs as well. Baseball today, Mariners finishing up a four-game set in Kansas City. Julio Rodriguez had himself a day, five for five, including this three-run homer in the eighth that gave Seattle the lead for good. 
He had five RBI, 12 hits in the series, and with the win, the Mariners are just a half game back of the Blue Jays for the final wild card spot. Toronto had the day off. And second of three PGA playoff tournaments, the BMW from Chicago. What a course that is, just 50 players in the field. Rory McIlroy from the rough green side at 17, and he's going to chip it in for birdie. Five under 65, tied for the lead with Brian Harmon. Four Canadians in the field of 50, Adam Hadwin, Adam Spenson, Nick Taylor, and Corey Connors, who had the best round of the four, three under 67. Only the top 30 advanced to the Tour Championship next week. Taylor should advance regardless of this week, but Hadwin and Spenson need top fives to have a chance to get to Atlanta. And a quick Congrats to 14-year-old Alex Zhang of Richmond, who won the Canadian Junior Boys Championship today in Ontario. Way to go, Alex. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you, Barry. And up next, a 10-year-old shows us all the good you can do with more than 4 million pop tabs. What we said at the top, it was changing by the minute, and Andrew is standing by with more breaking wildfire news, including more evacuation orders. Anne. Yeah, it's a very fluid situation right now. Thanks for that, Chris. We've just received word the Fraser Valley Regional District has issued an evacuation order for a fire north of Boston Bar. That is the Kukapi Creek wildfire along both the north and south sides of the Nahatlach River. Meantime, we are receiving several reports of clouds of smoke toward Agassiz this hour. Take a look at this. This is a time lapse taken over 10 minutes of a cloud of smoke billowing over the mountains as seen from Abbotsford. It's unclear at this point exactly where this fire is located. The BC Wildfire Service says it has received reports of a fire and is sending an aircraft to investigate. We'll have details on that. And of of course, we are closely monitoring the situation in West Kelowna as a local state of emergency remains in place. That's all coming up tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris? Well, a lot of people out of their homes there, too, due to evacuation orders. Thank you, Anne. Right now, an Ontario family says no one believed their 10-year-old son could break the world record for the most pop tabs collected. But he smashed it in under a year. As Global's Noor Rafat Ibrahim shows us, the boy has an inspiring story and received a big payoff. Jace started out by seeing a, a YouTube video of a gentleman who collected upwards of 3 million tabs. And the rest is history and hard work. 10-year-old Jace Weber racked up 6 million pop tabs in less than a year. The Mountmay, Ontario boy believes he smashed a Guinness World Record previously held 10 years ago for 2.8 million tabs. Well, it started out very slow, basically just himself. From there, it spread to community members, school. For his birthday, he, he requested pop tabs, and then that's when it kind of went viral. It was no hobby or pastime. The boy, who's on the autism spectrum, wanted to help others living with disabilities by raising funds for mobility devices. In comes March of Dimes Canada. We've had this program for many years. People can collect these pop tabs uh, and bring them to these types of organizations that will, that will melt them down. And then the individuals who collect them get a check that they can do what they want with it. According to Statistics Canada, more than 6 million Canadians are living with some kind of disability. According to a 2021 survey, 63% faced inaccessible transportation. On Thursday, the family dropped off over 3,600 pounds of tabs to Triple M Metal in Scarborough. 
They passed on their $2,600 check to March of Dimes on the spot. Too shy to be interviewed, Jace told Global News in a note that he plans to collect tabs forever. But those inspired by what he's done think he's planning... Something amazing at this rate. Nurefet Ibrahim, Global News. Indeed, well done. You can make a lot of aluminum cans out of that right? if you hit the recycle mm -hmm. bin. Wouldn't want to have to count those. No. Take a while. No. <laughs> Weighing them is way more efficient. Uh, okay, last word on weather and uh, keeping an eye on these winds and some of that dry lightning, Christy. That's right. So these gusty winds are really going to impact the fire situation overnight and into tomorrow. Also the potential for dry lightning. So we'll be watching that uh, for our region. We've got a cooler day on the way with sunshine. Still no rain in the forecast and the potential for smoke as we head into the weekend for the south coast. No doubt. OK, thanks very much for that. Thanks for watching, everybody. Keep it right here for the latest on that wildfire news. And we'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks.